sci-fi roundtable i'm shane thomas and today my co-host is jebba malay anderson hi jebba hey how you doing jebba malay anderson here and uh ken goodsward hey guys always a pleasure and uh we're with bill mccormick who is going to tell us a story about once something got out on the internet it was out there uh, bill what's going on this is a very simple story and it actually involves jibba our uh co-host here today Back in the halcyon days of yore, I sold my book, uh, The Brittle Writers to Adolf Kemp Publishing, and I commissioned a cover from Jibba to put on the book. Is that the cover we're seeing now, where it's uh, the silhouettes going sideways? No, no, no. no. The, and, and why we got to that has to do with Amazon censorship and why people think I'm a black lesbian. But that's not the story <laughs> we're talking right now. <laughs> I'm sorry, Bill, what was the name of the book again? The Brittle, <laughs> the Brittle Writers. All right, so anyway, so we released this book, and Azov Chem is stoked. We're all stoked. We're all really happy. I'm actually getting ready. That night, I was going to do a thing with another author named Steve Silver, who's uh, very popular here in Chicago. He's promoted a lot by NPR, National Public Radio. And so it was a big event, and we're going to do this whole thing together where we're each going to do a little reading and so on and so forth. And right before the week as that event was coming up, my book, somebody had put a Kindle file online publicly as a PDF. Next thing I knew... 35,000 downloads in Russia at $3.99 a pop, by the way. I, we were only selling it for a buck. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I posted a screenshot, Jibba saw a screenshot of it. I mean, it, it was insane. 35,000 copies of my book went psycho distributed and they were gone. They were just gone. I, I couldn't get any money back. And now, these were all pirated, note, right? And you never got yeah, paid? That's correct. That's correct. But here's the thing. Fun side note to this is that I got, after going back and forth with the Russian embassy here in America and Washington, D.C., and going back and forth with various agencies, I finally was notified by the Russians that they weren't going to try and get my money back because my book was a violation of their standards and <laughs> moral and ethical standards because it promoted uh, equality for LGBTQIA people. Uh, it promoted racial equality. These are all horrible things for me to be promoting. Uh, and um, and that if I stepped foot in Russia, I would be arrested at the tarmac for sedition. So there, I got a warrant for arrest in Russia. But all because my book, somebody put a PDF online. I mean, I think the person who put it online, the person who originally kickstarted this cascade of insanity, was someone who's in a border country that where you can't really share this kind of stuff because I violate all the Russian terms of service. So they were trying to be nice to their friends and say, hey, here's something you can review. And somebody else picked it up and said, no, here's something I could sell. And it was amazing. It was, it was up. It was gone. It was 35,000 units later. So, yeah, I did my first I did my first uh, spoken word thing with uh, 35,000 copies of my book sold, and I'll never see a penny. So that was wow. fun. It's crazy. And, and yet, at the same time, um, I, can pre- I can appreciate the fact that um, my work is seditious in Russia. <laughs> I I can appreciate that. Like, word up. You know what I mean? It's like what Bill has done and and my visual on it. Can you describe is, the cover? Well, you know, the cover was um actually, to be honest with you, 
it was a rather tame cover. Um, I illustrated one of the characters in it who was a succubus, uh, who was, um, you know, African. Uh, she was bald. Uh, she had bat wings. Um, it was uh, the environment. It had like purple. It was like a purple and um, like. It's kind of an acid bath of uh, Death Valley. And the succubus that he did was beautiful, by the way. It was absolutely beautiful. It pisses me off that I can't release this cover because um, because of a lot of reasons. And maybe we can swing back to that later. But the, the cover itself was the succubus. She's on her knee. She's wearing a loincloth. Her arms cover her breast, so you can't see. You know, there's no nipples. And she's a bald, but she's a bald, powerful African character with huge leather wings. And, um, yeah, th- that was big in Russia. That was, like, I-, I think there's a lot of people who are masturbating over that in Russia. <laughs> <laughs> they, 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 they don't get that kind of kink over there in the old Moscow city. Look at that. I was going to ask what the marketing draw was, because I would love to know that uh, what, what to do to sell 35,000 copies. But apparently, you know, you put a foxy succubus on the cover and you've done it. Yeah, well, in Russia, anyway. In, in, in Russia, yeah. yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe a different market over here for science fiction and apocalypse. Just, yeah, in all honesty, I'm kind of like, you know, if, if, they, if they're stroking to one black succubus, I need to get the horsemen over there because they have four black women. Oh, <laughs> God, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Ride them apocalypse. <laughs> perhaps you've got an untapped market here that you can find your way into. Exactly. Yeah. It's, you know, it's interesting. I have a... I have a friend of mine. Uh, her name is Chase Love. She's a uh, she. Do, she did some stuff with TMZ. She has her own thing as an IKEA nightshade. She does a bunch of stuff online, and she had some pictures of herself online that are cute and are sexy. And to this day, there are now fake porn accounts that use her stuff just because she's a hot, sexy African American woman. She's been my friend for like over a decade. You know, we're pals, and um, and I look at her. You know, we're talking about stuff getting out on the internet, and it just gets away from you. That's why I always tell people never put, never put pictures of your kids online. Never do certain things. Don't do them. You know, keep it product related or keep it focused as best you can. Because once stuff gets out there, it disappears. It can go anywhere. And, you know, my friend Chase, is con- she's surrendered. She's like, she brands her stuff as best she can and hopes to hell that when they, the fake ones come up, people will do a Google image search and find out where the real one is. Yeah. Yeah. That's really important. One of the things... You know, with with my work, I think one of the well, one of the main reasons why my work does not get co-opted and spread around is because it's my work is because of the fact that nobody else has created something like the horseman. Like they've gotten close. They've tried. The horseman is your comic book series. Yeah. Yeah. it's, It's it's my graphic novel series. And, and Shane, by the way, a quick inside here. Shane, it's incredibly cool. It's definitely well worth reading. It's very different. Like, whereas my stuff is dystopian and dark and blah, blah, blah. Jibba's is full of hope. There is, there is, a, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. And it's not an oncoming train festooned with spikes. So, awesome. Just give, and, yeah, just give you something there. All right, Jibba, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I wanted no, to clarify for Shane. No, it's, it's cool. I appreciate that. I appreciate the cosign on it. It's very different. Um, it's not derivative 
of anything from the corporate too. It's not classic superheroes. And then also because of the design of it, so on and so forth. And also because of the fact that the Horseman has been in existence for like 20 plus years, you know, no one can really like claim that and try and pass it off as their own or try and, you know, abscond with it, right? To get to that place where where Bill got to, you know, and, you know, the Columbusing of Bill's project, actually, it sounds great because it got him more exposure, so on and so forth. Yeah, um, you know what? Go ahead and try and pay rent with that exposure thing. Man. Right, <laughs> right, right. Landlord, land, my landlord, I call him, go, hey, man, I got 400 internet lines this week. He goes, all right, throw them in the bank, I'm good. Yeah, never, exactly. <laughs> never. Right, but but you know what? The good thing with that exposure from you, the good thing from being bootlegged um, thirty five thousand times, is that you have thirty five thousand eyes on your work, and that he's actually of, got seventy thousand eyes. Thank you, seventy thousand <laughs> eyes. Sorry, thirty five thousand pairs of eyes. Okay, oh, give or give or take. I mean, some people yeah. have different eyeball situations. I mean, unless they got glasses, then you can multiply that by another two. Um, or, they're, or they could be missing an eye, you know, they got a pat. I thought we had an easy math problem, yeah, we're, but we're, now we're getting complicated. <laughs> right, we're getting we, to the minutia <laughs> of eyes. But anyway, <laughs> but, but um, back to uh, what I, the point that I wanted to make is that that exposure, in a sense, opened doors for Bill to get to the point where he's doing the things that he's doing now. Uh, and, and there, by the way, I, I want to add to that really quickly. Uh, there's a lot of truth in that. And when I did the most recent uh, Los Angeles book signing that I did in Los, digitally in Los Angeles, uh, one of the people who joined this fan club and actually joined just so he could say hi to me was a guy from Czechoslovakia who had one of the bootlegs. That was awkward. <laughs> <laughs> so you stole my book, but you gave someone else money for it. And now you want to talk to me. Yeah, great. Yeah, okay. All right. Um, <laughs> but... Um, Yes, the exposure was great. It's turning out to be now. And it's really been about four years before that has trickled up or fomented up to get to me to start moving my career in a different direction. And if I can call them the four angry years, because I will, you know, there was a lot going on there. And you know, I see, I get it. People bought it. They, had, they enjoyed it. Uh, they share stuff with it. It's like years and years ago, I wrote a, a thing about uh, how Nazis discovered UFOs. I don't know, pay attention to that stuff. But the very first claim that there was an, an alien craft on Earth was 1935 from the Nazis. Uh, they were trying to explain how they got all this cool technology. So I wrote an article about it, you know, like the history of UFOs redux, I call it. And um, it got picked up by an Indian school system and used as their uh, part of their text for how to use uh, rational logic and how to discern truth from misinformation. Which, <laughs> Which side was the article representing? Uh, uh, first of all, that UFOs don't exist and, it, you know, there is no ancient aliens. And you can read it. It's on my worldnewscenter.org. Well, let's, uh, let's okay. clarify this. I'd like to pick apart the term. The term UFO just means unidentified flying object. Okay. Let Anytime me... you look up and see something you can't identify, it exists. But um, it is identifiable to whomever's in the craft, I'm sure. Okay, absolutely. I, I, I will stand corrected or sit corrected since I'm sitting at the moment. Because most uh, people think it's aliens out to play with their backside. That's the problem. Yeah. Well, right, right. Everybody thinks it's aliens with butt bugs and ghosts. But, um, yeah. It's another kink. It's, it's another kink, by the way. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, boy, is it ever. 
<laughs> but uh, okay, so no, I, what I, my article is about that there are no aliens visiting us. And I mean, if you look at a galactic map, we're we're the equivalent of Anchorage, Alaska. We are way out on the edge, and nobody wants to go there. And, you know, I went through it. I took it apart piece by piece. Uh, David Brin, the science fiction author, uh, ended up becoming my buddy because he uh, he copied that article and shared it with NASA. But in his case, he copied it after asking me and then shared it with NASA. Whereas in the case of India, it was two years later when I happened to be on a NASA blog and an Indian scientist who worked on the Mars program went, oh, you're that Bill McCormick. My daughter loves you. It seemed like an <laughs> odd thing to say to me. And then I found out that they've been using it for schoolwork over there because copyright doesn't exist in India. So that was fun. But that one I don't care so much about because, first of all, they give it to the kids. It's it's paid for by a state, state program. And they actually credited me, which explains why I have, like, a bunch of fans from India. And you go to my Facebook page. Hey, they pages. speak English, and uh, maybe some of them have Amazon accounts. You never know. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And um, we were talking off, off the air before about a group of people who follow me in England who happen to be uh, of oriental persuasion and work in the adult entertainment industry. And um, because of them, and exclusively because of them, I now have an Amazon Japan Facebook fan or Amazon Japan fan page. And it exists. You can click on it and it's like, there it is. You can go to Bill McCormick in Japan and read all my stuff. But you have to read it in English. Sorry. Right. (laughs) I love that Tom Waits song, Big in Japan. Oh, it's, it's funny because when um, when Cheap Trick was coming out, they were a Chicago band or Rockford near Chicago band. They were drawing, you know, a few hundred people. They'd play a bar. They were playing every night. And all of a sudden in Japan, they blew up. They were gods in Japan. If you ever hear the album Live at Budokan, everyone thought that was their farewell album because nobody cared anymore. Cheap Trick was playing bar bands. But in Japan, they were drawing twenty five to 50,000 people a night. Wow. <laughs> so when you listen to Live at Budokan, and, and you can tell they're a Chicago bar band, the record starts out with the drummer, Bunny Carlos, just drumming. And the reason you do that is so that the sound man can do the final tweaks on the sound to compensate for the audience that's in the room without having to deal with the vocal microphones or anything like that. So he compensates, he sets it up, and then the band kicks in and it rocks. And everyone's like, wow, they really laid into that song. Like, no, that's just Chicago bar band. It's the only way you can get a sound man to get your sound straight before everything else went. And so that, that they were just doing Chicago bar band stuff, but they were doing it in front of 25,000 people in Japan. And it's, the screams are incredible. It's a wonderful album if you haven't heard it. It's called Live at Budokan. But, cool. and, that, and actually, that's a good example of something getting out. That, you know, when Live at Budokan came out, nobody cared about Cheap Trick. There, you couldn't put together 20 radio stations in America who gave a damn about this band. They were like, they had their little pockets of things. This record came out and people started playing it and then people started playing it. By the time the record company realized that they had a hit on their hand, the record had been out for six months and was charting on Billboard, and nobody knew what was going on. It was all so just that, out there. That's an interesting point there, Bill, because like, you know, like radio has a real hierarchical structure of who, like, some top-down guys who decide this is going to be our top forty list, or this is going to be our hard rock list, or whatever it is, and there's maybe uh, some other community radio and different different uh, genres or whatever. But, I mean, having myself, I've been a DJ and also I'm a local musician. Uh, and a local musician, of course, is any musician who only uh, doesn't have really much of a fan base. It's more of an but, aspect of your uh, audience, right? <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. So it's interesting, though, that 
there's sort of this is sort of parallels your story about your books in a way in that there's the you know the accepted normal methods of distribution but they can be really hard to break into or possibly impossible right like mm-hmm. and even a band like cheap trick who obviously had skills couldn't break in break through that barrier and yet they managed to find an alternative uh, well they probably just it it more like it found them but in pre-internet like there were still these ways of alternative mechanisms for distribution and this kind of reminds me of your whole russian thing like it's interesting that there's your own marketing what an author or an any artist can do to intentionally market and then from the other side the market itself has its own intention yeah there's a lot to that and without spending too much time on cheap trick the one thing that they thought they always had was a great live show and when they went into the studio every time they went in the studio they'd get recorded as kind of like this beatles s thing so the low end was rolled off the top end and the mid-range was kind of emphasized and that was very audience friendly and very radio friendly and that really wasn't who they were or what they did but that's what they thought they had to do but when they recorded the live album there was no way to mix it that way because they were balls to the wall everything was at full volume they were rocking it and so they recorded that and all of a sudden they had a record that was just exposed who they were why they had fans live and why their songs were there and so you know hooray for them i'm glad for them and i actually i know rick and bunny known them on and off for years they're great guys but uh it just seemed like a good example like pre-internet if something gets out there and it still gets away from you on the internet i've had so many times i ma- I managed a record label from a division of warner brothers called essential and i managed it for yep. like five years <laughs> and um we had stuff we would do stuff we had this one artist named robert g and he released a song called highest mountains it's a fun song uh, he'd just done some work with a tupac remix and he, you know he'd done a bunch of stuff Great guy, easy to work with, real pleasure. Fans made a video of it that featured naked women, Japanese girls screaming at a television. It was like, it is the most surreal thing you'll ever see in your life. And I had no choice but to release it as a companion video to the original video, which was done by a professional company, simply because there was way too much support for it. Uh, I w- Would I have picked that as something I would release as a commercial entity? No. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I'm a, I'm a little wacky, but I'm usually not drunk by noon. So, <laughs> But, you know, when you put stuff out, and I, I think this, I, I use this more as a cautionary tale. I mean, sure, some cool things have happened for people. But when you put stuff out and you throw it up on the Internet, and you, you don't put some basic protections on it. You don't do some, you know, some basic stuff. All of a sudden, your stuff can be anywhere. And, I, you know, I've seen some immediate stuff, like a couple people use that images from still images that I have promote my comic books and they had them on the one website that was uh, selling marijuana or blunts or whatever. Right? I don't smoke pot. So I, not that I'm against smoking pot. My girlfriend does. I just don't do it. Uh, so I don't know all the cool terms, but um, they were using it to promote their, their product. And I'm like, uh, shouldn't you be paying me for that? And they took it down. <laughs> right. you know? But uh, like, you know, I paid the guy who drew that because I just wrote the story. So I gave somebody money to draw that, so you should be paying me money to use it. That's how that works. Actually, that's one of the things that I that I see, um, Bill, when you're talking about basic protections. Like I see that you know a lot of people who either 
you know, they do artwork of existing characters, you know, from other mm. franchises, uh, the corporate two, which is what I call DC and Marvel or anything of that. Or um, if they create sort of like these generic. And when I say generic, I mean like the work was created for no other purpose than the creation of the work. I see a lot of those people, if they don't have protections on the work, I see a lot of those people get scammed. You know what I mean? Like their stuff gets put up on, you know, these t-shirt sites, so on and so forth. They're coming around talking about, I can't believe I got robbed and blah, 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 this, that, and the third. And it's kind of like, in my mind, it's like, well, you know, if you didn't just do corporate two stuff or the work that you did, you know, you give it a purpose or you put a watermark on it, so on and so forth. Those little simple things can protect you from, you know, getting ganked, really. And, um, you know, going through the rigmarole of trying to get compensated for it. Or or if you don't take the um, initiative and commodify it yourself, that's where I see a lot of people getting into problems. Oh, yeah, and I will toss this up here as a uh, warning for the masses. Now, when I do anything for any comic books that I write, or anything I do for my novels, Little Riders, Splice, uh, Gopta of the Mists, which is coming out, I make sure to include web web link or something in, in the graphic. And it could be small. Uh, I, I've got There's a great image I use for Legends Parallel for uh, the character Aramar Singh, where I have the website in one of the images. There's like 30 images there, and I just have the website in one of them. So if somebody tells me, oh, no, that's my image, I'm like, yeah, that's my website. You know, yeah, it's, it's pretty it's funny how you got a picture with my URL in it. <laughs> right. Congratulations on creating something to promote me. Now, give me money. But <laughs> there's an unscrupulous world out there. And I, I mean, I use the Russian story, I think, is the best example of that. That, oh, sure, I got exposure. But they sold 35,000 copies at three ninety nine American per crack. So that's $120,000 in change that went out the door that didn't that had my name on it that didn't come to my pocket. It had to be marketed toward all those things that the Russian government was against. It, oh, you know, no. They probably funneled it directly to people looking for that kind of stuff, and that's why it got the attention. Oh, well, absolutely. Well, from absolutely. the authorities and from the you know, whoever pirated that many copies. That's amazing numbers. Yeah, when it was actually done in part through Daily Motion, which is a website where Copyright goes to die, but it's based in America. I don't know if you're familiar with them. I'm very, very leery of a lot of their stuff. Although they're the only one with all the original Stranglers videos, so I can't even go to But uh, Daily Motion is one of those sites where they don't ask for permission on what you claim. Like, if you put something up on YouTube, somebody can come by and go, nope, that's mine, you have to take it down. You put something up on Vimeo, they'll go, nope, that's mine, you got to take it down. Put something up on Daily Motion, they go, hey, have fun. That's where my stuff was put up. They put it up on Daily Motion with a little video ad. It's like a 10-second video ad. That ran in a circle. It was basically like a, a, a cool gif or a cool gif with uh, some music underneath it. But underneath that was a link where you could get the download. You punch it in, you throw in your PayPal account because they have PayPal in Russia. God bless them. And you throw in your PayPal account and you hit send, and boom, you get the PDF. That's how they did it. And I have screenshots of the Daily Motion website with the counter going by, and it was spinning by. And when I caught it, it was like five thousand. By the time it was done, it was thirty-five thousand. But even wow. at five thousand. <laughs> There was $20,000 that was supposed to have been in my pocket somehow, never got here. Or some portion of that. Maybe they want to claim an agency fee. God bless them for that. But, uh, yeah, it, the, the money, it was nuts. 
absolutely nuts. Over $100,000 disappeared on me in a day, one day. And you're right. They funneled it. We actually know the terms. I, I don't want to get, uh, I don't want to disclose too much because our uh, the lawyer involved is uh, kind of protective of this, but uh, they, uh, the lawyer that we were using um, was able to get in some of the back end stuff from Daily, Daily Motion and they found out the terms they were using were basically seditious terms, lesbian, gay, blacks, uh, uh, oh, anal, anal sex was in there. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. Yeah. There's there's a scene in the Brittle Riders that involves. I was gonna that. I was gonna say let's be fair it was in the book. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, it's in the book. It, it's and it's part of a beautiful love scene about two people. Well, they're not people; they're alien mutants. But anyway, the two mutants who uh, finally decide to love each and every part of each other's bodies. It's, you know, it goes all the way. You go this far, I go that far. In fact, actually, funny story. One of the pre-readers of the book, her husband read that scene. And it took her six weeks to hose him down to make him not want to drive that at all. So <laughs> it's a hell of a scene. It's a hell of a, and more than one person has written me, look, I hit that part and realized I needed a shower. You know, it's, it's a well-written scene, but it, it's meant for a purpose. Once they get past that, their whole relationship changes for the good. Mm-hmm. And not many people can say, you know, I think we need some butt sex in there to make this a good love scene. That was me. That's just me. My girlfriend doesn't talk to me anymore. No, she she loves me, but uh, I have to be careful. <laughs> so that's a good segue. Uh, before we hit record, uh, Jeep was telling me about something he's doing that ought to get out on the internet. Is is that something that our listeners can uh, go and watch now? What um, are you talking about, the Horseman? Uh, the play, um, the play you're working on. Oh yeah, the the play, um, Ellen the Ungovernable. We actually did a Facebook reading of it. It should be up on YouTube and also for the New City Theater in New York. So you're a comic book artist and an actor. It's, it sounds like you got quite the uh, creative spectrum. I'm a, I am a illustrator. I'm an illustrator, a graphic designer, a writer, and an educator. The acting thing, I did it in high school and I did it in college and I had a multi-year break from that. And what was interesting is that a few years ago, a good friend of mine, Damon Gupton, who at the time was working on Empire, you may be familiar with him if you watch Black Lightning because he played Inspector Henderson for the past uh, three seasons. And we had a discussion and I told him that I was missing you know, that I missed the stage a little bit. And he was like, you know, it's never too late for you to get back in. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, sure. You know, we'll see what happens. I'm so about being a creator of content as opposed to an actor. And then all of a sudden, what happened last summer was that um, The Horseman, my comic book was licensed for uh, a television show that should be coming out this summer called Utopia on Amazon Prime. And initially the friend that got me on that show, she also wanted me to be an extra in the episode where the horseman would be featured, which was a Comic-Con episode. And I had to sign up as an extra in the service in Chicago. Unfortunately, I couldn't do that show because I actually had to go to a Comic-Con that weekend. But what happened is that I wound up getting extra work so a wound up, what wound up happening is that the horseman is on a show, and then the back of my head is on an episode of Empire. 
And then I got, <laughs> you know, a walk-on spot on this show coming out on HBO Max. And then I'm in a crowd shot on The Shy. And then when I was doing, actually, when I was approached for this project, actually to turn it into a graphic novel, then the writer of that project, uh, David McDonald, he was like, you know, why don't you try out for a role in Chugga 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 Lobster? <laughs> and I'm here acting again. Wow. <laughs> that is cool. That is cool. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's how I got into that. <laughs> All right. It's maybe a two-sided coin because my experience has almost been the opposite where I'm putting things out on the internet and nobody gives a crap. <laughs> uh, you know, that's why I was so excited to hear about Bill's tactic of putting things on the internet and, and getting it out there. Cause boy, wouldn't we all love our platforms to get the reach that uh, pirates over in Russia got. That was incredible. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I think, you know, and I've been, I've been doing this for a little bit now. I mean, one of the things I've noticed is that when it comes to what goes viral, you can't make something go viral. You, you, you can't say today I'm going to piss off these people or make all these people happy or pick something in between. You can't really do that. There's a quick up and down. It's a little flop. A friend of mine who does internet promotions and SEO professionally said, that's a little, it's like a fish jumping in and out of the water. Yeah, you you see it, but you don't care. It's gone. But you can't rely on something going viral to make make your life, to to pay your bills. What I tell people and what I, I try and get through to people that I work with is that once you put something out there that people can copy, it will get copied somewhere, somewhere. Now, whether it's one time and somebody's sharing it on an email to their mom or, like me, they sell it to 35,000 kinky Russians. Either way, it's it's out. It's gone. That's why I have friends of mine who work in the police department, and they're always adamant about, please don't put pictures of your kids online, at least not with any information. Because people use that information to stalk kids. And you, you'd be amazed how easy it is to do. I, uh, I sat in a library one time with a friend of mine, Scott, and he found this account online. And within a half an hour, he figured it out mom's safe work so he could show up and go, hey, Timmy, I need to take you now. And Timmy would go, well, I like my safe work. He'd tell him the safe work. And he'd have that kid. You know, and that happens. That That's the terrifying end of the Internet. On, on the more fun end of the Internet, when people use your stuff and blah, 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 promote you, yay, thanks, send money now. That's how mommy <laughs> likes to pay her bill. But anyway, uh, but, but when people promote you, you have to be able to say, you have to have some way of stopping how much they're quote-unquote promoting you. I have free stuff that you can read online. There are short stories that were published. I was paid for. God is good. The uh, statute of limitations ran out on each of them, and they reverted back to me. I just throw those online. That, those are things that I've done, I've been paid for, I'm happy with. You can read them. A couple of them have won awards. A couple of them have made people angry. Whatever. They've done what they're supposed to do. And I'm happy to share those on the Internet. That doesn't mean I want to give away everything I do, you know, and I, and I have to make sure I'm the one drawing the line on what you, what you can and cannot get. And fortunately, I work with publishing companies with Hadithi uh, Kambaba for my comics and with Azov Kim for my uh, my literary stuff. And uh, boy, am I going to have a big Azov Kim here. A lot of crap out there. But um, I work with people who get that and are careful about that and make make sure that stuff can't just go wandering away for, for nothing. And so it's cool. But, but yeah, that's uh, yeah. definitely the danger of uh, digital media is, boy, it, 
especially with books, if you don't have a DRM encoded copy, it can really just go anywhere. So it's all about the uh, ethic of the person that has the file. And, you know, since it's anyone that can have files, that means people with poor ethics get them too. The one thing that I make sure, and actually what happened to me actually changed something at Amazon is they used to have a thing where you could just transfer a Kindle, a Kindle file to a PDF, make it easier to read on your computer. And of course, that's how I got ripped off. Now you have to order a PDF and you have to get it from the publisher. Yeah, it's uh, it can be pretty complicated. You can get uh, extensions with Caliber to convert files, but even in the doing, they do it the nice way where it's uh, encoded with the original purchaser. That way, if it goes pirated, you'll know who the original uh, leak was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I have no, I, I have no idea who's going. Huh. Yeah, it might be something that Amazon did when they changed all that because I like to uh, convert books I buy on Amazon to uh, formats to listen to with a synthetic voice e-reader so I can listen to them while I'm driving around. Mm-hmm. And uh, in order to do that, you have to convert it away from AZW3, which is the Kindle format. And uh, it's quite a problem. That's why how I know uh, you know about all the uh, converting that you have to do to kind of use it on platforms other than Amazon. Yeah, no, I'm I, I'm not the sole reason they made the change in 2016. Oh, Bill, um, don't be modest. No, no, I'm not. I know, I know, I know of Mormic Act. That's what it's called. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's not. But, um, <laughs> I couldn't even get my name right on their on my on my own uh, author page. Oh, I actually, <laughs> for a brief shining moment, I was Bill McSciFi on the author page, and I called them, and I finally got a human on the line, and I'm like. My name is Bill McCormick, and the guy went, "Oh, okay, I fixed this for you." And he started ticking things off, and that's when he said, "Bill McSciFi is a second name." Oh no, excuse me, they they didn't have me Bill McCormick. They had me Bill McCormick promoting everybody else named Bill McCormick's books. And so, <laughs> but this guy started going through this stuff. He's like, "This is Bill McSports. This is Bill McReligion. This is Bill McCountry Music. This is Bill McSciFi." And I went, "Bill McSciFi." I'll that's take mine. it. <laughs> right. I, I had the website, the, the Twitter handle, the Facebook page, the Instagram account. I think it took me seven days to set everything up. I was a, I was a maelstrom of activity. Back then, but, um, <laughs> but, it, but even then, it's like it, I, I know at the time, because I spoke with Amazon's legal as we were going through all this, that there were about a 200 lawyer or 200 authors who were impacted by various sects, some in Russia, some in India, some in China. But all for the same thing. Their stuff wow. was so easy to steal, they were just stolen. And so they changed their methods really quietly behind the scenes so they didn't have to give me any money. <laughs> and because um, Jeff Bezos, I mean, you know, poor son of a bitch. He's out on the corner. He's selling pencils, trying to make money. He just right. got divorced. His, his wife is, you know, she's out t- turning tricks. They have no money. <laughs> he needs yeah. help. He, he doesn't yeah. need Bill McCormick yeah. taking his cash. Bill, where can listeners legally buy your work? Actually, I've got it all set up at BillMcSciFi.com. You can, um, you can buy books there. You can buy uh, comic books there. You can buy T-shirts. You can buy Asian face masks if that's what you're into. Sweet. Uh, more uh, and more relevant nowadays. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, BillMcSciFi.com, I set it all up. Um, it's actually done through a secure bank, so you can go up there and throw your credit card in. You can even get, and I, I love this, it was something I did with the bank when I was putting this together. You can get a Bill McSciFi gift card, like a Visa gift card or a card <laughs> wow. gift card. But it's a Bill McSciFi gift card. And it's, it's perfectly legal. You can use it anywhere in the world. It's a Bill McSciFi gift card, which I think is like the most 
unusual thing I've ever done in my life. So, but yeah, yeah. filmicsci-fi.com. Go spend all your money. Spend I just got my money. Christmas shopping figured out this year. Uh, Jeeva, <laughs> where can we find uh, Horseman? And, and can you tell us again where to find your play? Okay, so um, The Horseman and uh, other books that I have done, you can go to www.griotenterprises.com. That's G-R-I-O-T enterprises.com. That is the hub. That is my comic book company. And as I said before, you can get the books there in print and digital. You can get The Horseman. You can also get my anthology series, Four Pages, 16 Bars, a visual mixtape, which focuses on independent works from creators of color. Um, We also have T-shirts. We've got skateboards. We have shoes. We have (laughs) T-shirts. Cool. Um, so you can go to the website. Please spend that dough because um, I got bills to pay. Amen, brother. Amen. Sorry. Right on. In <laughs> terms of the play, Ella the Ungovernable. Also, check me out on Facebook as well because that's where you get updates. And so Ella the Ungovernable, which is a story about the early days of Ella Fitzgerald, that will be on YouTube and that will be also be on um the New City Theater in New York, their website. Uh, Ken, where can we reach you? Dimensionfold.com. I've got, uh, it's my publishing company. Um, my not my first sci-fi novel is there. It's the first of a series. And um, also there's a lot of science fiction poetry and uh, actually a whole bunch of other stuff as well if you want to take a peek. All my fanboy stuff, including hundreds of reviews, um, some short fiction, including work by Bill, and also information about my book series, The Aki Legacies, is all at sciencefantasyhub.com. If you're a fellow writer, please join us at Sci-Fi Roundtable on Facebook. And since you're here, I know you love reading. Uh, pop on into reading the roundtable of sci-fi and fantasy to find deals on our books. Hey guys, this was a fun episode. Thanks a lot for joining me and I look forward to talking to you all again soon. Hey, right on. See you later.